The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much, and welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. We're live today from CNBC's Delivering Alpha Conference here in New York City. We have a big lineup today, famed short seller Jim Chanos. He's going to join us in just a few moments ahead of his appearance here on stage in the room just to my left here. Front and center for us, though, right now, the Apple fallout on reports of iPhone production cuts. The stock is, as you know, getting hit hard as a result. We're going to debate the ramifications for the market overall if the last general standing gets taken out. Our investment committee with me here, too. Stephanie Link is here. Surat Sethi, Joe Terranova. We'll check the markets, as we always do. Have decent gains. Nasdaq's at the highs of the day. Uh, maybe shrugging off a bit of that Apple uh, sell-off. And uh, that's where I really want to begin, uh, Joe, because Apple is your largest individual holding. Uh, how problematic is this if the reports are true? I, I never like correcting you, but did you say maybe shrugging off? The Apple News, the, the, the market is, this is a classic stress test, okay, for an environment in which Apple doesn't perform. Apple is not that leading general, as you say, and the market is handling it really well. For now. It will, for now, it remains my largest position, All right. okay? Um, I want to hear from Tim Cook. Tim Cook is the one person that I want to hear from. What do I want to hear from him? I want to know if the iPhone 14, the Pro, the higher-priced phone, is where we're seeing the lack of demand. What we've got now is 90 million. That's probably falling back to what the estimate was going to be, right? That's what they forecast originally. That's what they did last year. Yeah. So the, the weakening demand, it's coming from Europe. It's coming from China. I read the Jeffries note the other day that said in the first three days, the demand in China was down 11%. I already knew that. Um, the weakening demand is coming from a lower price phone. I'm not yet concerned until I hear from Tim Cook yeah, but, I mean, you're not that I hear, should be. Well, you're implying that he's going to come yeah, out. I'm you're going to wait. wait. You have to wait three weeks at least, Absolutely. right, when, when they report their earnings. And then, and then you get a, a real picture. Um, but, Steph, it's like beyond this report, it's the thought of what this means for the overall market. And I, I mentioned at the very top this you know, last general standing, so to speak. You can't have this one go down on the battlefield if you think you're going to win the war. I don't think so. It's 7% of the S&P 500 in terms of weighting. It's very, very big. You know I'm very underweight, Apple. So I'm on the opposite side of this. Not surprising to, to Joe's point, Europe and China is 43% of total sales. But this stock has held up remarkably well relative to the other fangs. I mean, you know I'm suffering with Meta. It's down 60%, but it's also a lot cheaper at 13 times. But Amazon and Alphabet also are down 30%. Hey, Microsoft is down a bunch. And Microsoft. And so this one has held in there remarkably well. It's not too surprising why they would be having problems. I think the iPhone 14 is kind of nothing special. So I don't expect it to be a super cycle by any means, not even a mini cycle. And so I'm not that surprised by the, the news today. Today we're getting bailed out from the BOE, right, from the Bank of England and that news. That's the reason why we're rallying. And if we didn't get that news, 
futures were down at the beginning of the morning when the news first came out. And then we got the reversal of the So if the people start to sort of fade the news, if you will, of, yeah. of what has come out of the U.K., maybe then the focus does turn to Apple, Surratt, in a way that it's not doing at this very moment. Sure, the stock is down, as we said, a few percentage points, but it's not taking the overall market down with it. The question is, how long can it remain that way? Yeah, and look, we don't know about the reports. I feel like it's like deja vu all over again. We had this a few weeks ago, and somebody said, but, but even if it is true, one of the things we have to watch for, that, that this is a telltale for, for earnings season, is if you're in Europe and Asia, this phone is costing you 10 15% more than it was just six months ago. So that's going to affect demand just by itself. And if you have a slowing global economy, I think there are going to be a lot of knockoff effects here. Apple's going to affect the semiconductors, which we're seeing some weakness in. So it's, it's a tell sign that, hey, things are slowing down. Currency is going to be important. Let's see kind of where this goes. And when you've got... A, a very liquid stock, you know, it's a place that people can actually take money off because almost everything, all the other generals have fallen. Well, right? let, let, let's take the report even out of the equation and just look at Apple for what it is. Uh, look at its valuation, yep. right? Is it, d- does it deserve the valuation that it has right now? Some would say, and I've talked to some fund managers today who would say a multiple of 18 to 19 times makes sense, more sense than where it is now. Over 20? Where, where is it now? We can, we 20, can show 24, 24, 24, 24, 25. It's, oh, without question, I'm paying a premium. I know that. It's richly valued. I, I understand you, that. Should you pay a premium for that stock in this particular market? Um, I'm, I'm paying a premium for it because of the balance sheet. I'm paying a premium for it because of the buyback activity. That's the reason why I'm paying that premium. It, it's interesting because, look, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm wrong. Where I'm wrong, and maybe the June low that matters most, is 129 for Apple. Maybe that's the June right, low well, that really matters. That's sort of what matters. I'm alluding so, to so, about these numbers you need to keep your eye on and what they mean in the bigger picture. So, uh, without question, we go below 129. I'm not going to be sitting here and telling you that my biggest holding is Apple. I will reduce my position if it breaks below there. And, yes, the market will have a problem if we yeah. take out that June low. It's at 24 times earnings. You're going to see flat unit sales for iPhones. You're going to see 2% uh, iPhone sales growth. I mean, is that is, is that worth 24 times? To me, n- not so much. Well, are we, are we 90 suggesting- billion buyback? I, I don't I don't disagree with the buyback. I don't disagree at all with the balance sheet and the cash and the positioning that it has. But I disagree with the valuation. I just have so many other names that have fallen so much harder are, are that we, I could own. Are we suggesting, though, Surratt, that we need to start thinking about, a, you know, a $145 stock going to 135 going to 130 even below that? Some suggest it needs to go back perhaps to the 200-week moving average is $108. So, you know, you're in an unsettled and uncertain environment. As I said, the last thing you need now are questions about the, the, the big, uh, you know, the big gorilla. And I'm going to say this because of all the, you know, Apple hate mail I'll get afterwards because we're underway to Apple, too. But I think you've got other alternatives. I mean, Steph made a good point about relative value compared to the rest of the market. Hey, guys, there's also relative value of coming out of the stock and going to a 4% two-year treasury or bonds that are giving you something else where you now, we're not sitting here like we were a year ago, two years ago, saying, hey, there's no other choice. Like, don't I want to be in the stock that's going to be the one that's going to hold up? Right now, you have that effect. Can I go into cash? The other one is, 
if we do get the pullback in the market, it's 7%. So it's naturally going to be sold just as people come out of the market, and especially if they're coming out of high beta names. So I think the next couple of weeks are going to be really important for Apple, to your point. If it can stay within this level, that's going to be great for it in the market. But if it starts coming down, we might see some, some oil coming out. What, what about sort of where we are right now, literally, right? You've got Fundstrat's Mark Newton today, SPX, uh, S&P, NASDAQ, Dow Jones look to be in the final stages he says, of their decline off the mid-September peaks. Do, do you feel like we still have a more dramatic move to come lower, or are we a, a, a about at the point where you can get some sort of significant bounce? I, I think that we are uh, overwhelmingly pessimistic in terms of sentiment and position. I, I think you have to acknowledge that. There's only 56 S&P companies right now that are above their 200-day moving average. I'm telling you Apple is my biggest position. That kind of is indicative of how I feel about the market. That's defensive in its yeah. nature. It's not as if I'm suggesting something else uh, which, is, uh, which has more high beta exposure. What's happening now, which is positive for the bears, is that you're seeing the 50-day, the 100-day, and the 200-day moving average begin to decline. So the 50-day is at 39.74, the 100-day is 40.25, and the 200-day is 42.23. So the bears can take hold on that. To Steph's point, though, a lot of the price action today is, is oriented by the actions of the BOE and the reversal that we're seeing in the 10-year from 401 down to 375. Does that give me confidence that this is an ultimate bottom? No, it doesn't. Well, I need to hear about earnings. Well, we're still... I mean, even before earnings come out, because we've got to wait a little bit, we're still a prisoner to bond yields and currencies, right? Yeah. aren't we, Steph? Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, look, I think what's interesting today is VF Corp pre-announced negatively, yeah. right? I thought the stock was going to be down 5 7 8%. It's down 1.5%, barely down. And so to your point, Scott, there's a lot of bad news priced in to the market. We know earnings are coming down. We don't know how much they're coming down, but they are coming down. But I think a lot of bad news is in the market with the market down 23%. But again, many, many stocks down much more, 30 40 50%. Yeah. So maybe if numbers come down, it's already in the price action. Depends. I mean, a lot of bad news, Surat, is, is certainly priced in um, is the worst case scenarios priced in enough yeah. is the question. I, I lead you to that question because of what Stan Druckenmiller had to say um, on the stage in the room over here uh, hour and a half or so ago. Uh, I mean, I want you to listen to what he had to say about where he thinks this is all going and we can kick it on the other side. Stan Druckenmiller. I will be stunned if we don't have a recession in 23, don't know the timing, but certainly by the end of 23, I will not be surprised if it's not larger than the so-called average garden variety. And I don't rule out, not my forecast, but I don't rule out something really bad. Why? Because if you look at the liquidity situation that has driven this, um, we're going to go from all this QE to QT. All right, there you go. I mean, it's, it's you know, dire listening to, to something like that. That's not priced in. That's not even close to priced no. in, right? And that is underscoring this notion of don't fight the Fed. You can make a great call when all the liquidity is in, liquidity is in the system that everything's going to go up, right? The old... Uh, Tepper thing. What's going to go up? Everything. Okay. Now everything's coming out. What's going to go down? Everything. Bonds are, are going down. Yields are going up. Right. Stocks are going down. What about what he had to say? 
Well, I mean, I, I think you have to then think that the Fed's not going to do anything and we're not going to have any policies that are going to help. I mean, one of the things the Fed is doing is putting marbles in the jar right now. They're trying to say we need reserves for the future because if what he's describing happens, we have something to act on. Now, again, he's not saying that's base case. And yes, we could see that if we kind of stay the way we are. But I also think like once we get through earnings and we understand, and even if earnings aren't great and they say, hey, we don't know what's going to happen in the next year or earnings are down, you're going to rebalance at that point and you're going to reassess what other companies you want to own. And, and I don't, I'm not that bearish. I'm, I'm pretty much a glass half full guy. But I think we're getting closer to kind of a lot of bad news. We're not there yet. But at that point, people will start looking forward. And then we're going to use our tools at our disposal and say, hopefully, we have them again to use. We didn't have any of them to use six months ago. No, but and his, that's what we're his doing. base case is recession, right? I'll be stunned if we don't have a recession in 23. That's not saying, like, maybe we can have a soft landing. Maybe we are going to have a recession. That's, I'm going to be stunned if we don't have a well, recession. Well, stocks are down 23%, reflecting a slowdown. And, and that could, one could call it a recession. Is it mild or heavy? Don't know. If it's a heavy one, it goes down 30, 35. But at some point, history will tell you over the 100 years, you come back, it's a question of where do you want to be when you come back as opposed to just being where you are now. He also said, Steph, the Dow won't be much higher in 10 years. Oh. Uh, well, because you're in a new, you're in a new regime, right? Um, like if you would have said 10 years ago that the Dow will not be lower in, in 10 years, you would have had the same reaction, oh, you know, there's a, you know, a crazy call out into the future. However, that's a prediction that could have been made fueled by liquidity. Right. So now you're sucking um, all of that artificial juice out of the system. How many home runs are you going to hit if you stop taking the juice? You're assuming that they're going to stay tight for 10 years then. Right. And they're they're not. No, but they're not. But they're they're not going to be as loose as they were for the last 10. We don't know. We, we, we do not know that. Ten years is a long, long time. Over the last three years, the S&P 500 total return, compound annual growth rate, 28%. That's not normal, by the way. But people started to think that that was normal. What's the long-term average total return? 10%. So you have to be in the market. You can't time the market. You have to look for quality companies. The, the thing that I know we're all doing is we're upgrading the quality of our portfolios, owning really great companies, number one market share, good balance sheets, outstanding management teams. Those are the, these are the times when you actually want to kind of build up your portfolio for the long term because yeah, they'll you, be but, around for a long time. Those are all good points, but you know, good management, um, good balance sheet, Apple, good management, good balance sheet, Microsoft, all those things are great. And you're going to ebb and flow. Until you think that yields may continue to go up and that growth in tech is just not going to be what it was in the prior but what 10 if it, years. But what if it's maybe, new leadership? What if it's new leadership? Maybe it's not technology in the next 10 well, well, years. That's kind of my point. But maybe it's energy or maybe it's financials or industrials, right? We don't, we don't know. That's my point. Like maybe the leadership is really changing for the first time in a decade where value stocks are going to come back in favor at the expense of, of these names that I just mentioned, even how great the, they are, how great their growth looks, their management teams and their balance sheets, their ability to buy back stock, pay dividends and do deals. So let, let's take it from the perspective of what I think everyone on this desk believes, which is Stanley Druckenmiller is a legend. Uh, if I got a lunch invitation from him tomorrow, I'd drop everything to go. He's just that's he's a star money manager. Let's say the next 10 years are flat. What does that mean for everyone? The last 10 years, there was a trade-off. The Federal Reserve said, we are going to give you abundant liquidity. In return for that, we're going to create this low volatility environment. Without question, for me, if you look forward the next 10 years, if you're removing the liquidity, 
The volatility, therefore, has to be significantly higher than it was the last 10 years. So you have this new regime. We're sitting here on set at delivering alpha. I'm not afraid of the next 10 years being flat because I believe I believe that I can do it. I believe Stephanie can do it. I believe Sarah can do it. I think people can come on the network and do it, and they could create opportunities and investments to generate alpha. And you will therefore have over the next 10 years a lot of star money managers like Stanley Druckermiller who were created in an environment previously where from 60, 1969 until 1981 the market went nowhere. Let's, so I'm not afraid of that. Let's, let's talk about a move that you mentioned that you were going to make uh, yesterday in overtime. You said you're going to do it at the open. Uh, CGen? CGen. Right? Uh, you did buy it today, 136 and change. Uh, take people through why that stock is the right one for you right now, who may not have heard your uh, discussion about it yesterday on overtime. Valuation. Value has been restored to the stock. Stock traded as high as 185 on the expectation that there would be a $40 billion deal with Merck. There's a low probability of that occurrence right now. Merck still maintains uh, a minority stake in this company. This is a company that uses antibodies in oncology. It's nuanced. It's something that I think is, is revolutionary in its nature. Uh, and this is a company for the last several years. I've followed it. I've traded it from the long side. And now with a, a significant discount in price, I'm going back in. I'm taking a position. Can here. you make a broader healthcare call by virtue of this move, or is this just a singular story? Um, I've remained consistent throughout the year. I think healthcare is one of the leading sectors that investors should be allocated towards in this kind of environment. Steph? Yeah, I like healthcare. I picked United Healthcare yesterday for uh, my final trade, but I also like Animal Health. So I like Zoetis very much. That's a stock that it's always been expensive. It's a perfect example of if it were to come down 10, 15%, I would buy more of it. It's a large position for me. I think the total addressable market is huge. So I like those two names. And of course, I rounded out by owning J&J. I like the dividend yield and the balance sheet there too. I agree. I mean, we're overweight healthcare. I own the J&Js, the Bristols of the world. I own Alanco instead of Zoetis. That's been a mistake. <laughs> but, you know, I like that area, United Health. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. And then you can play the Thermo Fishers in there, the Illuminas of the world. Uh, you know, now we're, we're getting interested in intuitive surgical. I think there's a lot of opportunity that's secular growth in healthcare. That if you look at it, one of the points that you're talking about when you, when you take capital out of the market, what it makes investors do is look at what companies are going to use capital wisely. And the, the number that you're going to look at is return on invested capital. It's not that the capital's free, so I just my, my really effective return is to be the risk free rate. It's not. It, it's really, we go back to the capital model and say, what do I need so that my equity return, I know I'm getting in the details, is higher than my cost of capital. And that, to your point, is where the Druckenmillers made a lot of money. And we've got to go back to the foundation of investing and saying, Good management, good balance sheet, and return of capital. You mentioned two names, Intuitive Surgical and Thermo Fisher. They were strong candidates for me to buy as well. Oh, yeah? With, C okay. with CJ. <laughs> Let us know if you, um, if you make a move do. in either of those. We're going to take a quick break. Straight ahead, billionaire investor Jim Chanos is going to join us right before he takes the stage here at Delivering Alpha. Halftime's back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. 
To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back uh, delivering Alpha here. You see we have a green market. We're up across the board today. We'll see if we can hold it. Hasn't been that easy of late. Let's bring in our halftime headliner today, Jim Chanos. He is the founder of Chanos and Company. You're going to be presenting here uh, in a little bit. We appreciate you stopping by our set before you take the big stage. Uh, how the markets look to you? I mean, I feel like I need. we visited with you not that long ago. What, was a few weeks, maybe a, a month or so. Uh, and here we are. We're still undergoing the same process of trying to figure out what the Fed's going to do and what it's going to mean to the stocks. Yeah, I think it was in August, Scott. Thanks for having me. Um, and the market was in the midst of the summer rally, and it's given that back. And we keep seeing sort of the, this, this whipsaw uh, between 3,600 and, and, and higher. And so the uh, market's trying to figure it out. Again, I, our Hedged accounts were probably neutral, plus or minus. You know, we're, we're pretty much fully hedged, as we have been all year. Mm-hmm. Um, but rates are higher. Um, and, and one of the things we'll talk about today, not specifically, but, but broadly, is that there's just a lot of business models that, you know, we're struggling at 2 and 3% that really don't work at 5 and 6%. Mm. And, and, and that's, that's where I would tell people to, to you know, watch their risk. That's a- principal thing I wanted to ask you, that the higher rates go increases your appetite for shorts? Certain shorts. I mean, so so again, business models that were dependent on easy credit and low-cost credit, uh, commercial real estate, uh, a variety of different things. Um, Carson Block was talking about some of the solar stocks. I mean, some of these businesses just don't work at 5 and 6 and 7 percent corporate rates. And, and there are a lot of them because the corporate world got used to that for 13 years. As for the run-of-the-mill industrial or whatever, I think, you know, that'll depend on the economy. Mm -hmm. But where we can find business models that basically are broken at mid to high single-digit interest rates, uh, I would would tell your viewers to be cautious. You you have mentioned specific names with us in the past. Uh, I'll ask you about a few of them. You say what you can say. Uh, Coinbase, still short? We're still short. I mean, Coinbase to us is, is... really symptomatic of the sort of broader, what I call predatory junkyard that is crypto. And so one of the things we pointed out to people is that Coinbase is losing money at a prodigious rate right now. It's charging consumers 
really excessive commissions, we think, retail consumers, about 25 to 2.6% around trip and you, every time you trade. So you do four trades a year, that's 10%. That's a big hit. But what's really interesting to us is that Coinbase has about 10% of the crypto universe under its umbrella. And its overhead is running about a billion and a half a quarter. So that's $6 billion annually with 10% of the crypto universe. So if you kind of do the math, and if, if they're representative of sort of the broad crypto infrastructure, that means that the crypto universe is probably running expenses of 50 to $60 billion a year on a $1 trillion notional. And you guys know what that means. That, that, that's really, really high. And so we, we worry about, we don't know where crypto's going, we know where Bitcoin's going, we have no idea. But th this is a really high cost industry that needs lots of activity and really high commission rates to make money. And I think that's, if you're losing money now doing that, charging retail customers 2.5% around trip, not a good business model. You know, it was interesting, and you, you sort of chuckled when you revealed it uh, the last time you were on that you went long the AMC preferreds, uh, really as a hedge against your short of the of the common. That didn't help me stock. with the apes. <laughs> yeah, you, they still came out. Public me. enemy number they one still for sure. Out, they still came out. Where, where is that currently in it, your it, in your it, book? The, the spread. We are still long the spread. We're long the apes. We're short AMC. Uh, they've both gone down, but the spread widened out after I spoke to you, and it's come back in. Um, it's silly. It, it, they're the same piece of paper, ultimately, not yet, but ultimately, they're literally the same piece of paper. Mm -hmm. They have the same claims on the company assets. I think the bondholders are going to own this company. I think at the end of the day, AMC is going to, it's going to survive. Don't at me, apes. It's going to, it's not going out of business but it needs to have its debts restructured and the bondholders will end up owning AMC and I would suspect the spread will collapse. So, about Zoom, which you said prior you, you've been short, yeah. um, are, are you still? We are, but, but a lot less than we were. Okay, which, which leads me to the question I really want to ask you, is when a stock like that has come down so much, when do you know the moment is right to cover the short? Like what's the sign or signal that you you look for. I know they're each individual stories tell yeah. their own story, but yeah. but still. Well, I, again, we, we it's always judge versus. I think right now we we have between 40 and 50 names fundamentally, and so we're judging all our names versus not only each other but things we're working on, and and Zoom is is down as you point out dramatically. Now Zoom is still in this group of stocks where. They are reporting pro forma earnings, but there really aren't much in the way of earnings. They add back share-based comp. And Zoom, along with DoorDash, and actually, more recently, Salesforce.com, really uh, uh, did something interesting. They announced they were starting to buy back stock to offset the dilution from the share-based comp. And that's something I think tech investors have to keep an eye on, because Again, a lot of tech investors just add back automatically the share-based comp to the adjusted earnings and say, well, it's not a real cash expense. But if the tech companies are now buying back stock to offset that dilution, then it's very much a cash expense. So the headline here is that you, you still have issues with the, the business model and, and some of the other things. It's just you're not as short as you once were because the stock has already come down a lot. Yeah, that, that's a fair, that's a fair uh, uh, statement. But Again, I, I'm cautioning people, 
that an awful lot of these business models are based on, on fantasy earnings, where, where you know, people have added back share-based comp or depreciation amortization. And now, with these stocks down, these companies are having to actually either pay more in cash compensation or buy back stock. And a lot of these companies don't make money. And, and, and so we're still short a whole swath of those. Um, lastly, I want to dis- discuss this whole debate that's going on about the Fed, okay? Um, whether they've, I, most people think they're too late. The question is now are they doing too much? And I know that you, uh, whether it was secondhand or, or live, saw the conversation that I had with Jeremy Siegel uh, from the Wharton School who suggested they're doing way too much. And because I think you might have tweeted about it. Um, where do you come down on, on, on that debate? They've done a lot. They've done 375 basis point hikes in a row. Have they gone too far? So what we've told clients is the following. The long run potential growth output of the U.S. economy, most people think is somewhere around 2%, give or take, plus or minus. And if you want to use inflationary expectations or whatever, most inflation expectations are anchored between 2 and 3% long term. That tells you that nominally the GDP growth rate in the U.S. is somewhere around 4%, maybe a little bit more. Long term, plus or minus. The problem I have with all of this is that by taking rates to 4%, we seem to be running the risk of breaking the economy. And that scares me because that tells me the equity risk premium should be really, really high. If nominal interest rates equal nominal GDP equals blow-ups in the economy, recession, you know, whatever, then the equity risk premium needs to be higher because we just have too much debt in the system. And I don't know how we get around that. I know this is sort of skirting your question. No, not necessarily because I I think it's a really important observation. But you you think that the risk has gone up of something breaking, right? Well, I think that the equity risk premium should be higher in light of everything we're seeing, that that bringing rates to 4% is breaking things. And, And that's terrifying to me, and that should terrify the Fed. Because that's where rates kind of should be, with a 2% growth and 2% inflation long term. And if we just think that everything, the wheels come off the bus, um, we've, got, we've got some structural issues we need to deal with. For, and, for sure. equities, and equities at 19 times the run rate earnings this year. I know people keep saying 15, 16, but the first half of the, this year, the S&P has earned $92. Um, uh, excuse me, $96. Double, that's 192 We're at 19 times. We're at levels that previously people would think was kind of rich. And, and so it's not like uh, this thing is bombed out. And so I think that that's what concerns me from a macro, and we're not macro people, but just the fact that, that 4% and 5% interest rates seem to be breaking an economy that should be able to handle 4 and 5% interest rates. If, if all things were equal, yes. But when you're going from nothing to 4 or 5% well, that, that's, that, at the speed in which they are. Now we're looking backwards, right? Well, and and you know, was a mistake made? I think everyone kind of agrees, yeah, probably. It's good to see you as always. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Uh, delivering Alpha would not be the same uh, without Jim Chanos. Uh, we'll see you soon. Uh, he's going to be unveiling his next big short idea right here at DA. Dom Chu is going to moderate that conversation coming up. Uh, He's also joined by Carson Block of Muddy Waters. That panel is this afternoon uh, right here, as we said, at our Delivering Alpha conference. Coming up, some of the biggest analyst calls on the street today. We're back in just two minutes from here in New York City.
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. <laughs> yes. Welcome back to the Halftime Report live today at CNBC's Delivering Alpha Conference. Let's get to Kayla Tausche in Washington with a news alert for us. Kayla. Scott, we've just learned President Biden will be briefed by senior members of his economic team later today. A White House official tells me that this after the president was last briefed on the global economy this past Friday. The White House is watching closely the developments overseas, but it's not clear what position the administration plans to take on the U.K.'s fiscal and monetary experiment that has so rattled markets. The president's view so far, this official tells me, continues to be that the investments made in the U.S. put it in a stronger position than any other country to navigate those challenges. Though, Scott, we know the global economy is all intertwined. We'll see how long the U.S. can stay immune. Back to you. Yep. All right. Kayla, thank you very much for that. That's Kayla Talshi. Let's get our headlines now with Seema Modi. Hi, Seema. Hey, Scott, here's what's happening at this hour. Hurricane Ian showing no signs of weakening as it nears the Florida coast. It is still packing sustained winds of 155 miles per hour and storm surges could reach 18 feet in some areas. President Biden says people should not downplay the hurricane's potential for catastrophic damage. Listen in. I made it clear to the governor and the mayors that the federal government is ready to help in every single way possible. Now, I want to repeat what I said yesterday to the people of Florida. The storm is incredibly dangerous, to state the obvious. It's life-threatening. You should obey all warnings and directions from emergency officials. Don't take anything for granted. On to Vice President Kamala Harris, who is confirming the United States' support for Taiwan during her visit to Japan. She condemned the disturbing actions by China during her remarks on the board, the USS Howard Destroyer. Finally, Russia poising to formally annex parts of Ukraine, where occupied areas held an orchestrated referendum on living under Moscow's rule. The vote is being denounced by Kiev and the West as an illegal and rigged sham vote. Halftime Report live from Delivering Alpha is back after this. All right, we're back live. Uh, Halftime Report at Delivering Alpha today. I want to show you shares of Boeing. Uh, You can see that move higher uh, here in the stock, and it is helping the Dow to the highs of the day as well on a report that China Airlines is finalizing what's said to be a landmark order for up to 24 787 Dreamliners. Uh, Investors like Stephanie Link next to me. must like that news. I do. It's been painful, though. It's down 34% year-to-date, yeah, right? It, and it's been a bad stock for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But this is good news for sure. It will help free cash flow, and that's what this stock trades on. It trades on free cash flow. But you really need the 737 MAX certification in China for this stock to really take off. No pun intended. So that's what we're really waiting for. That would be the next catalyst. We've been waiting a long time for that. Yeah, no doubt. you got uh, what's said to be, uh, at least according to these reports, uh, which I'm, I'm sure that we're working to uh, confirm as well, uh, 16 of the longest range uh, 787s with an option for eight additional. Uh, Surat, you like industrials, but you're not in this name. I'm not. And I mean, I'm in the airlines. So to, to me, I mean, we've looked at Boeing over the years when they had their trouble. It was just one of those things. 
We just felt there was other opportunity elsewhere. It's a, it's a good company, but it's just not one that we were in. Nicely above its June low. I didn't realize the June low is down at 113. It's kind of held up relative to the market. By the way, this is good news for GE, too, because they supply the engines. You're always looking for the bright side on some of your other stocks that you have in your book. Hey, where's Jim Labenthal? This I'm is like Jim Labenthal. You said Jim it. Labenthal this is like a Labenthal day, right? The, mar- the market's ripping, Boeing's up, and poor, Jim, and poor Jim <laughs> isn't on. However... Uh, if he were here, you know I would ask him about this GM price target getting cut, uh, Surat, but I'll ask you since you own it too. Uh, City takes it to 78 from okay. 87. They, they do reiterate it, a buy in their top pick. Uh, 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 but how about this one? I mean, look, you're, you're, it's still going to be a double from where it is right now. I would take that in a heartbeat. I mean, I think GM has some issues to work with like Ford does with supply chain. But at the same time, they're trying to just keep up with the demand. So stock trades at a single-digit multiple. They're free cash flow positive. They started the dividend again. They're not going to get any credit until the macro kind of really turns because it's just one of those cyclical stocks that nobody wants to own. But when you see that, this is a stock, I think, and that's what the analyst is saying. You're going to get a double from here just because it just re-rates to a multiple that's even 10 at this point. How does that stock react in a recession? I think you're pricing in the recession right now. That's why you're trading at five times earnings and they'll probably trade at 10 times earnings at the same price. So they'll finally get the supplies and then they're not going to get the demand. Right. And then that's going to affect all our industrials at the same time. So. We, uh, By the way, that, that Boeing news is uh, official. We, uh, CNBC's obtained the, uh, the release on that. So uh, we can confirm those reports which are leading to that move higher. Uh, in the stock. Uh, I'm thinking of another name, Steph, too, in your universe, which is Nike, yeah. uh, which is down 40 some odd percent year to date. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, cyclical stocks that fewer people want to own lately, why? And I know, and I know. China, well, it is China. worries, everything else? China is 20% of total revenue for sure, but that is going to be offset by North America. We learned from Puma and Adidas that North America is actually doing okay, and they're also shifting to DTC, which should help margins. It is down 42% year-to-date, and I haven't owned it all year. I mean, I did buy it when it was down double digits, but it's still been painful as well. I think this is not a play for the quarter by any means. I know Matt Boss at J.P. Morgan likes it into the quarter. I wouldn't do it, but I do like it for the long term. He's the number one analyst in that space yeah. uh, also uh, Matthew Boss is. Uh, Surat, Lowe's, reinstated overweight at Wells Fargo. Yeah, it's I mean, an interesting time to you know reiterate your uber belief in a stock like that when you have serious questions about what's happening in housing. You do and the stock has come down. It's down 25% for the year. It's at 15 times. Um, they are actually a really good well-run company and I think when you see kind of stabilization because of all the pull in demand I think at 15 times earnings, you can grow this thing with a dividend of 2%, 5 to 7% earnings. You're, you're going to have a you know, 7 to 10% compounder. Coming back to kind of what we're talking about, real growth for real companies, where you're not going to get the pie in the sky, 20% a year growth. All right, coming up, what top investors are saying right here at Delivering Alpha about the stock market, the volatility, and all that. But before we go to break, for Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating our teammates and contributors. Here's Maria Bowden. CNBC executive producer. Being a Hispanic immigrant has shaped nearly everything I've done to get where I am now. My parents boarded a plane from Argentina with two daughters and two suitcases to give us opportunities we may not have had otherwise. It was bold and courageous, and I've never taken it for granted. If my mom can become a doctor in a new language and my dad worked three jobs to keep us running, then there's nothing I can't do. I've learned to be adaptive and bold in my career, and I don't give up and I never shy away, especially from challenges. Embrace your story and use it to drive you. 
All right, welcome back live today from this year's Delivering Alpha Summit right here in New York City. Our Leslie Picker has been monitoring some of the panels today. She joins us now with those highlights. Hey, Les. Hey, Scott. Yeah, it's been a very busy morning here with a lot of talk about inflation, geopolitics, where to put capital to work amid these very volatile markets and the prospect of inflation, what it looks like clearly front and center for many of the panelists today. As you mentioned earlier in the program, Duquesne's Stan Druckenmiller said he would be, quote, stunned if we don't have a recession next year. PIMCO's global CIO Dan Iveson echoed a similar idea while noting that fiscal and monetary stimulus is creating a lag before we see that significant slowdown that everyone's predicting. We just think that you're going to see, you know, continued economic momentum throughout year end. Uh, any type of material slowing uh, will likely be a 2023 phenomenon. And uh, the economy may, you know, surprise um, with um, overall resiliency uh, in, 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 in this market. It doesn't mean that it's not going to weaken eventually, but that you could end up seeing, you know, some stickiness that could create, again, more volatility, more, more uncertainty. He said there's still a shot of a soft landing, but it's not the firm's base case scenario. Carlisle's David Rubenstein also believes some sort of slowdown is around the bend, but it will be short-lived. The United States is not in a recession, technically, but we're probably heading towards something that's going to be not that favorable, and uh, nobody wants to use that R word, but we're heading to something that's not so favorable. But two years from now, we inevitably will be back to you know, something closer to where we were about a year ago. If he's right and there's a prospect for better days ahead, J.P. Morgan Asset and Wealth Management CEO Mary Callahan Erdos urged investors to stay invested in these markets, calling it one of the, quote, most important things and one of the most difficult things to do. Scott. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Leslie, thank you so much. That's Leslie Picker uh, right here uh, at Delivering Alpha. As we said, what's your takeaway uh, so far? I feel like the Druckenmiller sound, uh, his comments are sort of leading the dialogue of, of what's going to be the big takeaway from here. Takeaway is persistent and elevated volatility, asset allocation from the standpoint of fixed income. The value is here. It's present. Jeffrey Gunlock told you that last week. 60-40 portfolios have declined dramatically in the first half of 2022. The opportunity to me is in that 40% allocation. And a little bit beyond that, I know it's, it's, it's not logical to come on air and talk about the emerging markets, but if you get any relief from the U.S. dollar, if there is slower growth that's going to be present and ultimately an unfortunate recession, the emerging market asset allocation should no longer be carried at an underweight. All right, we're going to take another quick break. We'll come back. Mike Santoli is going to join us next for his midday word. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Halftime. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us now from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. I mean, we're getting relief today, and, and maybe we should thank the, the Bank of England for it. The question is, is it more than a one-day thing? What's your general feel on what, what's happening today? Well, you could certainly build a case that a lot of things lined up. Yes, certainly the Bank of England. We know that story. When central bankers panic, it's when markets can can stop panicking for a little while. But yesterday, yesterday's low, the S&P 500 hit basically a down 25 uh, percent intraday loss. 
Uh, you've also had the 10-year Treasury yield just kiss the 4% level on a vertical move and then pull back from there. You have relief in the dollar. All equity rallies now serve at the pleasure of the bond and, and currency markets. We know that. But you also had, look, let's be frank, some doomsday talk there at Delivering Alpha. That doesn't hurt uh, to, I think, pull the rubber band back a little bit. So obviously, all it's allowing the market to do is respond to the oversold conditions that we knew were there coming into the week. Uh, you do have the end of the quarter and month coming up. Some seasonal gloom maybe starts to break up a little bit around that same time. But, look, we were at 4,100 two weeks ago in the S&P 500. So you can't really declare any kind of partial victory even uh, until you get a lot closer than we are right now. Monster collapse, though, in, in yields in, in some respects, right? The 10-year the yep. uh, down 20, 20 basis points minimum. I mean, that, that's a pretty stunning move almost to the magnitude that we saw on the upside. That's right. And, you know, if you just looked at the, the chart of the 10-year yield, uh, it did ramp in a very steep way through 3%, stayed there for a minute, and then backed right off. Same thing with 3.5%. So here we have 4%. It didn't pause. It didn't, I mean, it didn't stop the rise in a big-picture way. But each time there was a little bit of a break in the fever and you got some relief in risk markets, we'll see if something you know, similar happens right here. But, you know, that move you mentioned to the downside, the problem is, is the outright volatility levels in fixed income markets. You probably shouldn't have government mm, right. bond markets moving that fast. That's never uh, a safe environment if it lasts. I'm glad you made that that point. Uh, it's a critical one, right? It's not supposed to work this way. Yeah. Uh, right. And I'm glad you made it. Um, I'll see you in a few uh, for your final yep. word later on during overtime. Mike Santoli, thank you. Final trades are coming up right here next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Oh, we got overtime a few hours from now. We're going to be live again from Delivering Alpha today. Got Josh Brown with us. Uh, Dan Ives is going to respond to this Apple report, get his take on what it means for the stock. Tina Biles-Williams, she founded a $17 billion hedge fund. Talk to her about the current environment where she is trying to deliver Alpha these days. We'll also have highlights from my conversation with Citadel's Ken Griffin. I'm going to sit down with him in just about an hour's time, and we'll bring you some of the highlights from what he has to say as well. Two final trades. Surat Sethi. Uh, I'm going to stick with Lowe's. I mean, one of the things you're going to see is a lot of demand, unfortunately, over the next couple of weeks, just with the hurricane and where earnings have been a little bit depressed, you're going to add that back. So it'll kind of help the stock. And you even think, you know, if uh, obviously home prices are coming down, right. mortgage rates are going up. A lot of people did the work on their houses during the pandemic. You still think they, there's a cycle to go with that? I mean, you always have continual cycle to do in terms of just repair maintenance of the houses as well. And I think as materials, and we've seen lumber come down, we've seen copper, all the other prices have come down. So those people who haven't done anything in the last three or six months are going to actually do that going forward. Okay. Stephanie Link. Uh, Accenture, they just had a great quarter. Total revenues grew 15%. Bookings up 21%. They generated $3.6 in free cash flow. This is number one in the industry, down 35% year to date. I, I like this here. All right. Uh, Joe Ternova, what about you? On a day like today, the, the rules-based algos, they're looking for relative outperformance. You could find that in Netflix. The stock is targeting the price gap between 250 and three and a quarter from last April. Keep in mind, May was the low at 162. Buy it. All right, good stuff. I'll see you in OT. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.